Father, thank you so much for this morning that we have together. In one sense, it's like every other Sunday morning. We're gathering on Sunday, not Saturday any longer because it's the day of the resurrection of Jesus. In another sense, this is an amazing, unique day. It's the day that we celebrate Jesus is alive. And God, I pray that this morning you would just fix our eyes on you completely. Or we are here to worship you, to esteem you. I think about that passage in Isaiah where it says they did not esteem you. This morning, our intention is to esteem you, to exalt you, to worship you. Because you and your great love for us, you took on flesh and you dwelt among us. You died for us and you walked out of the grave victorious. It was an incredible act of love that you would die for us and use the same nails that we pounded into your hands and feet with our sin. Use those same nails to secure our freedom from bondage to sin and death. Words cannot express our gratitude. We're so thankful. Be honored in all that takes place here this morning. Help us to hear from you in our next few minutes together. Bless, encourage, challenge, do what you need to do in the hearts of the people here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 6. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 6, 27 through 36 is where we're going to be this morning in our scriptures. Some of you grabbed a Bible on your way in, and uh, if you don't have one at home and you grabbed one on your way in, just bring that home with you. That's our gift for you. We'd love nothing more than for you to take that and to uh, break it in. It's page 560 in those Bibles, and we also have scripture up on the, the screen for you. As a church, we've been going through the book of Luke on the life and the the, the message and the ministry of this Jesus Christ from Nazareth. We're going straight through the book and just kind of covering whatever is next. Uh, that way when you come, you don't get my opinion. None of you need my opinion. You don't get Josh's thoughts on life. Instead, you get whatever's next in the text. And so when we go through something through the book of Luke, it's what's next. And you know that this is exactly what God has for us. So last week, we ended in chapter 6, verse 26. Uh, This week, we pick up in verse 27 here on Easter Sunday. It's something that God has specifically chosen for us to hear, all of us, this morning. And so what God has for us to study this morning, to look at this morning, is love. Love. Not, I love tacos, that's me. Or I love shoes, that's my wife. Or I love my iced coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. Or I love my car, I even named her. You're not that guy, are you? I named my car. Or I love the Patriots. I know we love the Patriots. Now we're talking about God-invented love, which demands a relationship. And I know you think you have a relationship with the Patriots, Bostonians. I know you think that that Tom Brady is dreaming about you as much as you're dreaming about him. Fellas, I know that you have a man crush on Julian Edelman, and uh, I I know it, but I can guarantee you they're not lying in bed at night thinking about you. I do believe, however, that our Lord is. Countless times throughout the scriptures we find that we are on the mind of God, and he wants a relationship with us, and I believe that's why you're here. See, the missing link when we use the word love improperly is relationship. And we're talking about love in relationship with God, and we're talking about love in relationship with other people, in relationship with all the people that God has put in your life. How's that for a hopeful, happy Easter message? Pretty good, huh? Love. We like that. But hold up. We're talking about love in all of our relationships with all people, even with those people. You know who I'm talking about? 
You have crazies in your life? Anyone? I've got a few crazies in, in my life. So this is the moment in the sermon that you work really hard to look straight ahead at the guy preaching. Because if that crazy is beside you, our tendency is to go, right? Or when I'm preaching about marriage, the tendency is to go, you hear that? Don't do that. Just look right at me and you'll, you'll make it through. The title of the sermon this morning is Crazy Love. Crazy Love. Loving the crazies, loving like crazy, and love that is completely crazy. And at first it sounds beautiful. It sounds so honorable. Love, love, love. But the truth is, love like this is, is not easy. It's very difficult. We're talking about love the action, love, the choice, not this elusive emotion that we fall in and out of. We're not talking about this emotion that, that swells on our hearts and shrinks and swells and shrinks and swells and shrinks. We're talking about crazy love because it's, it's Jesus' love. It's just hard to express. Everybody knows it. Everybody wants it. And everybody really needs it. Jesus' kind of love. Love that is no strings attached, love that is no conditions, love that is no fine print, just pure love. It's defined by, by the Bible this way, 1 John 4, 8. God is love. And so all love, if God is love and God has created us who have relationships with each other, all love is initiated by God. And so we're going to unpack that this morning. But first, let's read our scripture. You ready? Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 27. Jesus said this, But I say to you who hear, love. You like that? So far, so good, huh? We should probably read on. But I say to you who hear, love who? Your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek... Offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. From the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Ah, the golden rule. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Now, packed into that text are what I believe to be some of the craziest commands in the Bible. I mean, those are some crazy commands, huh? But listen, Jesus can tell us this. Jesus has the authority to teach us all of this. And you know why that is? He can teach us all of this, command this to us because of Easter. Because of of Easter, Jesus can say a lot of crazy things about love. Here's what I mean. Let me point out two things. First thing, it's obvious, it's Easter. Jesus died. And Jesus came back to life. Jesus went into the grave like we go to a hotel. I'm just here for a few days. I'll be out on Sunday. That's what I call a drop the mic kind of moment. You know what I'm talking about? He just said, boom, it's done. I'm alive. 
need I say more? Everything that I said is, is true. I, I, I'm, I'm good to go. Just believe what I said. I'm, I'm alive. Food for thought. Jesus is arguably the most famous man to ever live. Think about it. Our calendars revolve around his birth date, B.C., before Christ, A.D. The words of the best-selling book of all time are written about Jesus himself, the Bible. He is deeply adored and worshipped by many all over the world. He's also passionately hated by many all over the world. He's famous today. He was famous even in his day. Yet no one can turn up the remains of Jesus from Nazareth. Why? Because he's not dead. That's why. He's alive. Countless shrines have been found to religious leaders from that day. Yet it's undeniable that his teaching was the most impactful, most history-shaking teaching of, of all time and especially of that day. Yet there's no shrine to Jesus Christ from Nazareth. Don't you think even those who were his enemies would want to find the remains of Jesus and say, no, this stuff is blowing up. It's, it's taking off. It's going global right now. But no, he's right here. They couldn't do it. They didn't do it. Why? Because he was, in fact, alive. And the Christian faith exploded. It just exploded. There are tons and tons of evidences to the resurrection of Jesus. And so listen, do we believe that Jesus did, in fact, resurrect back to life from the dead? Yes. Do we mindlessly buy into this stuff? Absolutely not. The Christian faith, unlike some say, is not a blind leap of faith. It's an informed decision. We don't believe in the resurrection of the dead because grandma did, because of tradition. We believe it because we believe it. We believe it because of Conviction, not tradition. We believe that Jesus really died and he really came back to life. I don't get it when people pick and choose through the Bible and say, I like that, I don't like that. And because I don't like that, I'm not going to obey that. I'm not going to live that out. I'm not going to honor that. No, he was dead and now he's alive and he speaks. And when he speaks, we say, okay, you were dead, you're alive. I'm going to listen. And what he says to us today is he says, Love your enemies. Love the hard people to love. That's the first reason why we can say, okay, you're telling us to do something difficult, some crazy commandments. You are dead. You're alive. Amen. The second reason that we can listen to Jesus and obey Jesus when he gives us this crazy command is, is because he lived everything that he's telling us in this passage. Don't you hate it when people try to teach you or preach you or, or demand you to do something that they've never done themselves? You know what I'm talking about? That, that drives me crazy. The, the best coaches were former players, right? Or people who are in the medical profession are people who were at one point residents. They, they learned under practicing doctors. I remember the, the, the first uh, time my, my oldest son, our first child, had blood drawn and, and the nurse got there and was shaking and poked him several times. It was driving me insane until I said, can we, can we get somebody else here? She says, yeah, that was, I think, my first time. <laughs> You're kidding me. Your first time on my child? I mean, somebody's child's got to be the first one. But it was my child. I remember when I went to, to, to seminary, I struggled with the professors who had never been pastors. 
They could, they could talk about the languages and, and all the, the, the context and, and, and sentence diagramming and all that kind of stuff. But what I, I now really need are those people who can say, let me tell you how to apply all of those words from the Lord. When people in your church, their lives are broken and busted up. Listen, Jesus himself was not a theorist. He was a practitioner. All this crazy love stuff that he's demanding of us, he himself lived it to the bitter end to his death on the cross. He shows us himself the kind of love that he demands of us. So let's go through these commands one by one if we can. Just just look back at verse 27. Love your enemies. So Thursday night was the night of the Last Supper. And and at the Last Supper, just before eating, he gets on his hands and his, his knees and his feet, and he just starts to wash the feet of these dirty disciples, physically and spiritually, including the feet of Judas, who's going to sell them out for chump change. So when he says, love your enemies, he literally loved his enemies. Just one example. How about uh, verse 28? Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. So, so on the cross, did he pray for his executioners, his enemies, did he bless them? Yeah, absolutely. He says, Father, forgive them. Hanging on a cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Look at verse 29. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. They beat Jesus to near death, even before being hung on the cross. And he's this amazing miracle worker who could have easily performed another miracle and hopped right off of that cross but he sat there and gave the other cheek and let them beat him beyond recognition and so yes he knows what it means to offer the other cheek verse 29 goes on jesus says to the one who takes away your cloak do not withhold your tunic those are forms of clothing back then didn't he give up his clothes they stripped him completely naked hung him up on the cross And yet he was in control and he let it all happen. Verse 30, give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Uh, Did people beg of Jesus? Absolutely, throughout his ministry on earth. Jesus, 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 heal me. Heal my daughter. Uh, Help me walk. Help help me to see. Restore my, my shriveled hand. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Did we ever hear him say no in the Gospels to healing? Now he said, I'm on this earth. My kingdom is, is being inaugurated here. I'm just going to heal. And, and, and we saw amazing miracles in Jesus' life on this earth. Yet, the entire city of Jerusalem is up in arms and they're going, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him come Friday. And does Jesus demand back his goods and services? Does he say, give me back your sight, blind? Does he say, hey, you're walking, paralyzed again? No, what does he do? He just continues to love them. He demands nothing back. Verse 31, he says, and as you wish that others would do to you, you do so to them. And that's what he did. He did to others as we would want others to do to him. He practiced what he preached. And so he can say to us with great authority, this is what I expect of you. Skip ahead to verse 35. It says, for. So in light of all of this, we can do it because he is kind to the ungrateful. That's us sometimes. And to the evil, that's all of us. Verse 36, be merciful even as your father 
is merciful. That is your heavenly Father. And so we do it because He did it. He showed the kind of love that He commands of us. He showed love to those who are extremely hard to love. Can you admit that sometimes you're hard to love? I'm, I'm hard to love. I've been unfaithful to the Lord off and on throughout times in my life. He shows us this love. And He says, and I want you to love under my example. And so we live out these crazy commands of the Scriptures today because of Easter, because He loved to the point of death on the cross. He modeled it for us. And because He's alive, and if a dead man is now alive, He can say whatever He wants to say, and I'm listening. So, now we need to kind of turn it on ourselves a little bit here. This was a a set of commands given to His followers, to His disciples. Verse 20 says this, if you look at it, it says, He lifted up His eyes on His disciples, and then He begins this sermon that we're in the middle of. In other words, these commands are for people who are already his disciples. Verse 35 says, But love your enemies and do good and lend and expect nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. In other words, you will prove that you already are my children if you love the way I'm calling you to love. This is how my children, this is how my capital C global church is going to live their lives. And if you do this, you can turn the world upside down. And so let's start to uh, apply these commands a little bit to our reality. Start to think about your, your, your own life here. Notice how, how he, he goes straight to the extreme circumstance right out of the gate. He says, love your enemies. And then he says those who hate you, who hurt you, who, who steal from you. Here's what he's doing. He's drawing a, a very wide circle. And the outer extremities of that circle are your enemies. Which means everyone else who's inside of that circle, who are not quite your enemies, yeah, you're to love them as well. And so some of us are maybe saying, you know, I don't know that I have that kind of person in my life. Maybe you do. I don't know. I don't know if I have that kind of person in my life that they, they hate me. They are my complete enemy. Here, so here's what I've done for you to make it a little bit more tangible. I've created this kind of handy reference list that I want to leave you with of, of different types of people who are inside of the circle. They're not the extreme, and so they apply as well. They're, they're not your, your enemies. And, and, and these people most definitely apply to love them the way Jesus calls us to love. So here's, here's a, a list of people who are easier to love than your enemies. Just give you a few here. First one is crazy roommates. Anybody? You've got a crazy roommate? It's kind of hard to love. My freshman year, I remember walking onto my college campus all excited to set up my dorm. It was going to look amazing. And I show up to move in and, and the school provided three bookshelves for, for each room. And we had three roommates who were moving in. Well, I was the second one to show up. The first kid was already there. And I get in, and every single bookshelf, all three of them, three roommates, every single bookshelf was full of Japanese anime figurines. And I remember thinking, this is college, right? And so those are intended for books, right? This is 13th grade, not 5th grade, right? And so I know it well. I know the struggle of, of, of crazy roommates. I think they fall within the bounds of they're not quite your enemies, and so they're inside of the circle. Just a few more practical ones for you. Fans of opposing teams, Bostonians. Right? You're called to love New Yorkers as, as well. Another one for you, bosses and coworkers, Bad bosses, bad coworkers, people that are really difficult to work with. 
trying to make this very practical for you. Because when we think enemies, we're like, I don't know if I have any. But you've got people in your life that fall within this circle. Here's one for you. In-laws? Anyone? Now, my in-laws are awesome. And so, Pat and Kim, if you're listening via podcast right now, I love you not because Jesus commanded me to love you, but because you're so lovable. Some of you, you know what I'm talking about, though. In-laws, or maybe siblings, in-law, family members who, who, you know the struggle very, very well, right? People who, they know how to run your house better than you know how to run your house. You know what I'm talking about? They know how to raise your children better than you know how to raise your children. Love them. Love them. Not fall in love with them. In action, show love to them. Here's another one. Your spouse. You're called to love your spouse. Now, for those of you who aren't married, this might seem kind of strange. What, what is he talking about, right? But listen, if you don't die on your honeymoon, you're going to learn that it can be really hard to love your spouse after your, your, your honeymoon. Sometimes you're going to feel like, you know what? Are we on the same team? I feel like we're on different sides of the, the battle line here. I feel like we can't communicate. And in those days, love is a choice. It's a commitment. It's a vow. It's not an emotion. We're called to love our wives, men, the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so when you're watching a game, you can think about the cross, brother, right? Spouses fall within the boundaries as less than an enemy. And if we love like Jesus, our marriages, I believe, would change the world. Not because we're so compatible, but because we're so committed to love the way he loves. Now let me give you a few more. Uh, Four, I'll put them together here. Uh, People with different ideals than you. Starting to get a little bit more serious here. Maybe people have different political ideals than you. Social ideals than you. Theological ideals than you. Lots of churches on this street. If we love Jesus and he's the one who saves us, he's the one we trust in, we're on the same team then. People you can't relate with who have different backgrounds than you, different interests than you, different cultures than you. One of the most beautiful things that the Lord has been doing among our church is diversifying us. So that we're here together and we're worshiping and we love Jesus and we're acting as family together. Not because we're, we're similar, but because of Jesus. Which means it's not easy. It means we've got to fight for this unity. We've got to fight for it. We've got to love even when it's hard to love. It's not something that we fall in and out of. It's a commitment to love like Jesus and to be family the way Jesus calls us to be family. Here's another group of people who are a little less than an enemy. How about annoying people? Anybody? You've got annoying people in your life? People that just get under your skin? They're not the exception. They're less than your enemy. You're called to love them. How about less mature people? Practically speaking, so immature. Spiritually speaking, they're, they're less mature than me. I prefer not to be around them because they're so immature. They don't offer me anything. We start to use spiritual language like they don't edify me. You ever heard that one? Try to sound all holy. Let me let you in on a little secret here. Learning to love those people might edify you more than surrounding yourself with only people who build you up. That's why, beginning in verse 32, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? In other words, don't be impressed with yourself when you can love people who are easy to love. Who cares? Big deal. 
Try loving those people who are hard to love. He says, and then you'll prove that you're my children. Then you'll prove that you're spiritually mature when you learn to love people through the differences. And then you will start to grow in Christ's likeness. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't use on us some of the lines that we use on other people? Like they're so immature. Yeah. Or they're so frustrating to me. Or they just get under my skin. Or they just bother me. Or I just can't be around them. Listen, when we say things like, I just can't even be in a room with that person. We are making the gospel, the good news of Jesus, so small. So weak looking. But the gospel of Jesus is most powerful. When people look and they see this tangible change when we are able to love people who are hard to love when we are united with each other when we offend each other we're not even close to enemies yet so often people have struggle loving and being tangibly loving to other people but we have the example of jesus christ who died for us that's the kind of community that I want my children to grow up in. So much better than moving to the suburbs and giving them a great house. I want my children to grow up in a community of people who just are Christ-like and different and they love each other. And we'll stop the hate that's in our world by instilling it in our children early when they see us loving people who are different than us, loving people who are hard to love. And so the love that has been displayed on Easter weekend brings about a a real change starting with our children and also out there it'll bring about real change you know the best way to deal with Ferguson and racism the best way to to deal with ISIS and the atrocities in in Egypt the best way to deal with the now 148 students who were slaughtered in Kenya on Thursday by by Al-Qaeda because of their faith the best way to deal with that is love. You can't fight hate with hate. It just becomes this never-ending cycle. Instead, Jesus says, how about you love your enemies like I do? And that is why as you look through the history books, the seasons of the church's greatest persecution, people are killing Christians, become the seasons of the church's greatest explosive growth. It often stopped the hate. It turned haters into believers. Think about how Jesus pursued Paul. He led ISIS back then. He was the leader of the persecution movement among Christians. Jesus pursued him, didn't he? And he loved him and he changed him. He didn't wipe his hands of Paul. He said, I'm here for you. I want you. I want to change you. And think how much of an impact we can make if we who are being changed by Jesus, continue to be formed and shaped into this kind of loving community inside the walls, and then it would also change the outworkings throughout our community. I think one of the greatest proofs of Jesus Christ is that his message just makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it just makes sense. It's radical, it's crazy, it seems a little nutty at times, but it offers a very real solution doesn't it the the message of jesus is that he loved 
you despite your quirks. He loved you despite your, your sin, your failures, your inconsistencies, your living without him. Some of you, you're sitting here and you're like, uh, God, yep, yeah, I'm back. It's been a year. Apologize for that. He says, I still love you. I still have a plan for your life. I want to take you back. I still love you. You need to understand that, that, that many of you, many of us are, are far from God. You know that you've stabbed him in the back. The Bible says that we all have. We've all sinned against him. We're all sinful people. Christians are not sinless people. We're just forgiven people. We're just forgiven people. Maybe you're far away from God. Maybe you're very, very moral, but in your heart you're, you're, you're far away from God because you're making your morality and your goodness on things that are not Jesus himself. Wherever you are today, listen, this kind of love of Jesus that was displayed on the cross, displayed Easter weekend, is extended to you. We've all made ourselves enemies of God. All of us. Because of our sin, because of our independence from God. He breathed into us the breath of life. We're breathing. Take that in right now because he gives it to you. But when we say, God, I don't need you. I'm going to do my own thing. He says, okay, your breaths are very limited. It is appointed for man once to die and then the throne. And then you stand before this God. And he doesn't wipe his hands of you. He's pursuing you. You're here today because he is pursuing you. He's saying, I loved you. I strapped my son, Jesus, into the electric chair to die for you, to take on the penalty of your sin, this brutal execution tool of the Romans. I did that because I love you. And the Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, which means Jesus didn't deserve to die, but he gladly died. He was sinless, undeserving of the wage of sin, but he dies in your place, takes your punishment, takes your death sentence for you. He died for those of us who have said, you're my enemy, God. Maybe even not physically said, you're my enemy, God, but we've positioned ourselves as enemies of God by living independent, autonomous from him. But he says, if you will call upon the name of Jesus, who's there, ready to go, he takes it, for you so that though you die the bible says yet you live because of what jesus has done we're talking about love we're talking about crazy love listen you cannot live out this crazy love until you realize that you have been loved with a crazy love so don't leave here resolved to go live out this kind of love without first realizing and receiving the crazy love that has been displayed for you from jesus Call upon the name of Jesus. Receive him and be saved. That's the call. That's the invitation this morning. It's to say yes to Jesus. Yes, I take that love. First of all, I'm an enemy of God. And I want to receive your love displayed for me. And so here's what I want to do. I want to invite you, if you would, just close your eyes for a moment. Would you just take a moment just to start to evaluate your heart a bit? so that we might focus on the Lord. I want to lead those of you who understand your need for Jesus to give your life to him, to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. I want to invite you to that. It's the condition of your heart where you say, yes, Jesus, I recognize your great love displayed for me. And with a genuine heart, you call upon him 
and say, I want to trust in you. I want to turn to you. I want to follow you. I want to turn from being independent of you. We call that sin, offending God, living apart from him. And I want to turn and I want to call on the name. I want to receive the love displayed by Jesus for me and let that change me from the inside out. And then be used of him to to share this love throughout our world that our world might flourish. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's no magic words. It's what's going on inside of your heart. And with a genuine heart, if you want to give your life to Jesus right now, you just, in the best way you know how, maybe the words change a little bit. It doesn't matter. Just pray this prayer to Jesus and mean it. This is a one-time thing, giving your life to Christ. You could say something like this. Jesus, I recognize that I need you. Because I've sinned against you. Today I want to turn to you. I want to trust in you. I'm so amazed by your crazy love for me. That you would die for my sins. That were committed against you. I believe that you resurrected the life. You have the authority. You are king of kings and lord of lords. And so I put my life, my eternity in your hands. It is my intention to follow you all the days of my life. Help me to live a life that honors you, God. You are my Lord. You are my King. You are everything to me. Thank you for this gift. In the name of Jesus. And while we're just still sitting here with eyes closed, just thinking on the Lord. Christians in the room, he's called us to love like crazy. Love that is crazy. Maybe you need to confess to God that you have not been living out this kind of life. Just tell him. And then say, here I am, Lord, use me. I want to love people who are hard to love. I want to end hate with love. Broken families, broken marriages, broken relationships, broken neighborhoods, a broken city, a broken country, a broken world. God, use me. With eyes of faith, trust that he's going to do it. He wants to. Broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. And so God, I commit my brothers and sisters Christians in this room to you. Use us to love like crazy to change the world. And may this this love, this family grow and grow and grow as we see more people approached with great love, not hate, not hostility, but the compassionate eyes of Jesus who looked upon them and said, Father, forgive them. Do something amazing. We love you. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We thank you for the resurrected Jesus who has the power to say this, command this. We worship you as we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.